0: One of the best scriptural examples we can get to help us there is the case of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. If you think of Cornelius' CV, you would have to say he was a good man. Perhaps all of us would have to say, well, he's a better man than I am. The ladies wouldn't say that anyway, would they? But Cornelius was obviously a God-fearing man. And yet, he needed Christ too. So whether it's folks at the bottom of the scale, as far as behavioural patterns concerned, or folks at the top of the scale, in both cases, in all cases, we need Christ too. So I want to share some thoughts from uh, Acts chapter 10 with you today. (coughs) It's a long chapter, so we won't uh, read it all. Just in reference to his CV, you can get that at the beginning of the chapter. A God-fearing, devout man, generous man, a praying man. good to keep that in mind, just that's the kind of man he was and yet, and yet he still needed help. So he sent for Peter, and of course Peter was a somewhat reluctant messenger, obviously because of uh, racial undertones to the whole thing, going to speak to a Gentile. That was a new experience for Peter. But we'll come down to verse 24. Peter did the journey, and wisely he took some brothers with him from Joppa. 24, the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I think you can write over that verse, expectation. Wouldn't we love to meet people with an expectation to hear What God had to say to them. And that's what uh, Cornelius elaborates on down there in verse 33. He goes over the story of how he had been guided. And in verse 33 he says, So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Very very weighty words there. And you just get the... The, the reverence of this audience that uh, uh, Peter was going to speak to here. gathered in the presence of God to listen. The scripture says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's good when God speaks. It's better when we listen to what he has to say. So that's what uh, the introduction to the situation there. So then Peter comes to the heart of the matter and uh, in verse 36 breaks out, breaking in there again how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him Make beg your pardon did I read verse 36 there no I missed it out didn't I mm-hmm. you know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ. This was the message that God had for Cornelius, and it's the message that God still has for our world today. And I want to just pick out the things that Peter highlights here that are on offer in the Gospel message. And that is the first one. I love that expression there. Uh, At the end of verse 36, Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Reminds me of uh, my father and his brother were farmers, of course, and they used to go regularly to the the auction market. And one day there was a group of farmers there standing around talking, and uh, one of them used the Lord's name uh, in the way people do. And a Christian farmer was walking past and he just said, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And my uncle said it it was well done. It was well done. He is Lord of all. And it's good for us to keep that in mind when we're sharing the gospel. Because we make a lot about Jesus as saviour. But we should not forget that he is Lord of all. And he wants to be Lord of everybody as well. But what I want to highlight from verse 37 there is that... uh, No, it's the same verse, 36. uh, The good news of peace... Through Jesus Christ. Peace. When we think about, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Number one, peace. Peace with God. Paul, when he was writing to the Romans, he spoke about in chapter 5 and verse 1 having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice how often, it might be interesting to do a, a survey from a, a concordance just how often do you you get the expression through Jesus Christ we, we know we know that there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus all God's blessings are available and they're available to us through our Lord Jesus so yes peace with God is a, a wonderful thing but we've been thinking this morning about the price of that peace when Paul was writing to the Colossians he said he made peace by the blood of His cross, and that's something that will be precious to us for all eternity. So, yes, number one, peace peace with God, and that's something the world doesn't know much about, does it? Paul, when he was writing to uh, Titus, he spoke about the viciousness of humanity. He says we were foolish and doing what we did, hateful and hating one another, and you see that in our world today. So, God. Uh, has offered through the Lord Jesus peace with him, first of all, and reconciliation to him, but then peace with one another. And we believe that is the real answer to our world that we're living in today. But then Peter goes on and details the life of the Lord Jesus, and then the death of the Lord Jesus, verse 39, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. And then he comes to the resurrection in verse 40. God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. I was just thinking this morning about a word in Acts chapter 4 where it says, With great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I've been uh, exchanging emails with a Turkish girl that uh, used to study here in Manchester. We met up at the Edinburgh Festival and uh, we're carrying on this spasmodic conversation by email. She's back home in Turkey now. But in the last mail I had sent to her, I said something, quoting from a book I've been uh, hearing about. uh, The resurrection of Christ is one of the best attested facts of history. So she wrote back, she says, I'm a bit confused about that. What does that mean? So uh, I don't have a fund of information, but I contacted a young man called Brian Johnson and he sent me back four uh, Links right away, and I read one of them through, and I've sent it on to Baha, so she hasn't come back to me on that one yet. I hope she will agree that the resurrection is a best attested fact of history. Remembering the book, uh, who Rol- who to? who rolled away the stone, a man who set out to disprove the resurrection and ended up believing in the Lord Jesus. So I pray that that will be the case for Baha too. So the Lord uh, came. And worked and lived and died and then rose again. And then verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. The command of the Lord Jesus is what inspires us, encourages us, helps us to square our shoulders and go out, as we recognise that we are operating under the authority of the supreme Lord of all. That enables us to do what he commanded us to do. But it's very interesting to me that what Peter highlights here is not the salvation of God, but the judgment of God. He's appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead. And of course that is very closely connected with the resurrection because you remember when Peter was at uh, Athens, he spoke about the command of God, that he commands all men everywhere to repent, and he spoke about the assurance that one day we'll all give account to God, and he says he's given a assurance of this in that he has raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. So the fact that the Lord Jesus rose again means two things. Uh, first of all, it means that men and women will be answerable to him and will one day meet him. It's a solemn thought, isn't it? On the other hand, it's also an assuring thing to recognise that because he is alive, he is able to save all that come to God through him. We'll come to that a bit later. But Peter goes on in verse 43 and says, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I don't know what that does to you, but it should fill us with a sense of relief to think that through the Lord Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. That's essential. That's the second blessing that I want us to highlight on in this chapter that we've got before us today. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you will die in your sin. If you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sin and where I am, you cannot come. Unforgiven sin is the ultimate barrier to heaven and glory. It's the barrier to enjoying peace with God here and now, of course. And that's true for believers as well as unbelievers. And we've got to try and uh, make sure that with God's grace and by his help, we avoid upsetting, offending, grieving the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives. I came across a little poem recently. It says, no more these countless sins can rise to fill me with dismay. The precious blood before God's eyes has cleansed them all away. I don't know about you, but uh, maybe it's because I'm getting a bit older. I keep on remembering things that I would rather forget. And uh, I think the devil's quite happy to prompt us in reminding us of things that we would rather forget. But isn't it good to be able to look at the scriptures, look at the promise... And rejoice that if we have repented, and that's important as we'll come to later on, but if we've repented and received Christ as our saviour and claimed the value of his blood on the cross, then we can say these countless sins they have been dealt with. So we just remind the devil that he doesn't need to talk to us anymore about them. Anybody using the authorised version? I think it says shall receive re, or receive remission of sins. Is that what you've got there, Nigel? You've got new, is it remission? Yeah. yeah. Which do you prefer? Forgiveness or remission? I'll settle for You'll settle for both. Well, they're both there. Uh, I think from the legalistic point of view I would go for the remission. <coughs> it's a bigger thing, isn't it? To think that uh, remit- being remitted means they put away. God speaks about putting our sins into the sea of his forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What a, what a mighty work the Lord Jesus did for us when he died to, on the cross to provide that forgiveness uh, for our sins. That too is tied to his death. In Ephesians it says, "We have, in him we have redemption uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. What a blessing to think that we won't have to answer for what we have done or not done in our lives. Now I want to jump down to chapter 11 because uh, if I said, if I put it crudely, Peter was in a bit of hot water over his visit to the Gentiles. And in chapter 11, uh, he was challenged. Why did you go and eat with these Gentiles? Now Peter didn't defend himself. You only defend yourself if you think you've done something wrong. He justified himself, he explained himself, and it's very interesting to follow through his discussion with the, the folks back home in Jerusalem. So we'll break down, we'll jump down to chapter 11 and verse 14. He's explaining there in verse 13, "...send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter." It, it was so evidently of God, this whole thing, this whole scenario, And uh, Peter is explaining to his brothers back home. But here's the point I want you to pick up from verse 14. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Now, if we were doing a Sunday school class, we would say, what was the first gift? And you would say, peace. And what was the second one? You would say, forgiveness. And what is the third one? Salvation. And what what a blessing that is to know that our sins have been forgiven, that uh, we have received the Lord Jesus as our saviour, and we are saved by God's grace for all eternity. In Hebrews chapter 5, it speaks about the Lord Jesus as the author of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. He's the author of it. He's the designer of it. He's the instigator of it. And he's the uh, communicator of it and any other world you can think of. What a blessing to think that guilty sinners can be saved by God's grace and that for all eternity. Dear Willie Stewart, that I was privileged to spend time with in Nigeria when I went, first of all, as a very young and raw uh, recruit there, if you put it that way. He used to quote the hymn, The fire and the torment my eyes will never see. What a blessing to know that we are saved by God's grace with an everlasting salvation. Romans chapter 10 is a great chapter uh, to to speak to people about in that connection. I uh, have been involved this past week with a a man who knows that he's got a very short time to live in this world and uh, it's a sensitive situation. You want to be tactful uh, and try and share the gospel with him meaningfully but gently and we were reading some scriptures in Romans chapter 10 together the other day and I just pray that he'll take it on board and we do well to read them again. Great scriptures there in Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Thanks for your hymn this morning, Stuart. I just underlined that thought. Verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a a tremendous thing that is to stop and think that he's available. He's he's ready and he's willing. And I was sharing with this man, Robert, the, the story about Peter walking on the water and then beginning to sink and crying out, Lord, save me. And immediately the hand of Jesus was there and rescued him. And we know that's a physical salvation, but I think it demonstrates and illustrates to us what happens in the spiritual dimension too. Peter was afraid. Peter was helpless. Peter cried out. And the Lord was right there. And it's great to be able to go to men and women and say, Look, we are sinners. We're in danger of judgment, but he's there, he's available, and that strong hand of his is ready and able to rescue all who call upon him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's gift number three uh, in our little resume here. Now, when going back to chapter 11, Peter is explaining himself to these people. And uh, I want to jump over verse 17 for a moment uh, when he they heard this, I'm oh, sorry, sorry that's me again, I'm back in Acts chapter 11 uh, my mind jumps around a bit uh, Acts chapter 11 and verse 18, when they heard this they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life now How many gifts are there? We've got peace, we've got forgiveness, we've got salvation. What have we got here? You might just home in on life, but don't miss out the vital one, repentance. If God will grant them repentance unto life. And I think in our preaching we need to perhaps do a little more uh, of emphasizing the need for men and women to repent. God now commands all men everywhere to repent, to change our mind about sin. Perhaps when we hear people professing to be saved and we don't see much evidence or any evidence of it thereafter, it may well be that there's not been a genuine deep-seated repentance a turning away from sin. Scripture we often use is Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He that covers his sins will not do well but he that confesses and forsakes them will receive mercy receive mercy. So repentance is vital. But then so is life. Repentance unto life. What kind of life is that? Eternal life. A life that will go on for all eternity. What a marvelous gift this is. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said to the Ephesians, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now he has made you alive. And so we rejoice today for the gift of eternal life. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. What a tremendous blessing that is. So there are four gifts. Now, why did I miss out verse 17 or six, fifteen to 17? Peter was speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as He gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? So we've got all these uh, inanimate gifts, if you like, peace and forgiveness and salvation and repentance and life. But here's here's the big one, if you may put it reverently. Here is the great gift that makes all the difference to you and me. Paul says, if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. But when we do have the Spirit of Christ, he tells us more about the Lord Jesus, he enables us to appreciate what we have in the Lord Jesus, and then he enables us to live the kind of lives that God wants us to live uh, during that very brief time between our receiving Christ as our Saviour. And that glorious moment when we'll be cut away to be with the Lord Jesus for all eternity. So, Cornelius, you're a good man, but you had to hear this message too. And if you meet good people, just say, Well, were you as good as Cornelius? Here's what God had to say to him. What does God have to say to you? Let's pray.